Hello friends, welcome back to Soul Moments with Ariel Corey. It has been quite a while. In this episode, I'm going to be sharing bits of my birth story with you all. So if that is not of interest to you, then I will catch you on the next episode. If it is, then grab a warm beverage of choice or iced now that it's getting a little warmer here in Colorado. Sit back, hit play, and I welcome you on this journey with me. Hello, hello. So, birth story. See, the last time I recorded a podcast episode, I was still pregnant with my little girl. She is now Earthside. She was born on April 2nd, 2020 at 8.37 p.m. Her name is Yara Ren Kelly, and she is my entire world. I've had so many of you message me asking when and how and where I would be sharing my birth story, and I am now eight weeks postpartum, and I woke up this morning and just thought, now is the perfect time for no other reason than it just felt that way. So very much still in line with soul moments with Ariel Corey, sharing whatever is on my heart today. Being eight eight weeks postpartum, um, my birth story is what's on my heart today. So um, she was born on April 2nd, but really the story starts back a couple of weeks prior on March 22nd, around 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, So during the latter half of my pregnancy, I experienced Braxton Hicks contractions, which are essentially practice contractions. Your uterus is um, practicing contracting and you feel them. They're not quite as intense as labor contractions, but nevertheless, you feel them. So I had been feeling those leading up until this March 22nd date. And on March 22nd, around 9 p.m., they felt a little more intense than they had previously. Um, Some other things that were happening in my world, in my life at that time, and really for the entire world, is the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, So needless to say, leading up to my actual birth and labor, um, very important aspects of my journey shifted. Um, It was truthfully not at all what I had planned, dreamt of, anticipated, or prepared for due to the presence of a global pandemic. Lots of questions arising of how could I be bringing a baby into the world right now? What will her world look like? What will our world look like? What will the hospital situation be like? Um, Just so many questions and fears and anxieties that were present in addition to the ever so beautiful (laughs) pregnancy hormones that you experience to begin with. Um, But anyway, on March 22nd at 9 p.m., I called my midwife because my contractions were less than a minute apart, which is um, when they said to give us a call. So knowing that I was uh, about eight days early from my due date or expected due date anyway, um, I gave my midwife a call, spoke with the nurse on call that evening, and she said, why don't you head into the hospital because contractions less than a minute apart 
usually means you're in at least the very early stages of labor. So we want to have you checked out. So Mike and I headed over to um, the hospital near our home and the hospital that I walked into was not at all the same hospital that we took our maternity tour at just a few weeks prior, thanks to the global pandemic. We entered in through the emergency room where we were met with um, masked individuals behind the desk asking us questions. Had we been traveling? Do we have a fever? Um, various other coronavirus related questions. And I was standing there thinking, wow, I am potentially in labor right now. And while that's my number one priority and that's been the center of our world for the past nine months, I very much felt like it was secondary to everything else that the hospital was dealing with, which made me a little nerve wracked, to be honest. Um, but we made it past the screening station and then had to be led back outside in the snow to a separate door because the hallway that we anticipated walking down right into the labor and delivery unit was actually locked down uh, due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, So everything just felt a little weird going in there that night. And I wasn't sure if it was weird because There was a subconscious part of me that knew she wasn't arriving that evening, or if it was just due to the buildup of the pandemic and all of the emotional, mental, and physical toll that had taken on me thus far leading up to this point, and that was very heavily present in the hospital that evening. Um, Needless to say, we got to labor and delivery and got all checked in and admitted and hooked up to the machine. And I was in fact having contractions. So next up was a cervix check. Leading up to this point, I had never had my cervix checked. Um, My midwife was of the stance that, you know, it doesn't really tell you too much in terms of when she's actually coming. Um, so just kind of leave it be until the body does what it knows how to do. Um, but since I was in the hospital, they had to check it again, due to the pandemic, um, the nurse that was admitting me and going to check my cervix was masked. Um, in addition to that, I had never met her prior. So there was definitely, um, a very foreign energy that took place leading up to having my cervix checked. Um, and I'm a first time mom. So there was just a lot of unknown leading up to that moment. Um, and in addition to that, which I didn't realize until after the fact, um, I also had a lot of energetic memory and um, fear and trauma stored in that part of my body due to the sexual assault history that I have. Um, So getting my cervix checked that night, I was only one centimeter. I was extremely deflated because the contractions timing wise lined up with labor, but I just wasn't very dilated at all. So over the next two or three hours, um, I texted with my mom and my sister, Mike and I listened to music. I bounced on a birthing ball, walked around a little bit, drank a ton of water, tried to relax as best I could, um, and was checked again and still was only 
one centimeter dilated. So they sent us home. And to any mamas who are new mamas or second time, third time, fourth time mamas who have gone to the hospital and then been sent home, you know how many emotions are associated with that. The one that I felt in the moment was deflated. I just felt so deflated. I felt like, man, I really thought it was time. Whoops, I guess it wasn't. Um, And there was definitely a, a sense of maybe I don't know my body and my unborn child as well as I thought I did. So if you've been in those shoes or are thinking you may be in those shoes, I just want you to know that there's no right or wrong with this process. It's all new. No two pregnancies are the same. No two labors are the same. Even if, you know, they're both, they're your two or three labors, your two or three pregnancies, they're all so unique and individual. And there's so much unknown that coincides with being pregnant and definitely leading up to the birth of your child. Plus you're super excited. You're very in tune to every single little ache and pain and pull and tightening. Um, so always err on the side of caution. There's no shame, no harm in calling and asking questions in advocating for yourself in just being checked out. Um, so yeah, we, we came home with, with no baby <laughs> baby was still in belly. Um, we got home around two in the morning. We were both very tired just kind of went to bed and, um, I surrendered a lot energetically that night and, um, unexpectedly woke up the next morning with an extremely heavy heart and a pretty thick layer of depression, um, energy lingering around just my every thought breath move. And at first I thought, man, I'm being so hard on myself for quote unquote, you know, being wrong. That's how I felt at the time. But when I dug a little bit deeper and shared this experience with a dear friend of mine, Jenna, who is a music therapist and just a friend of mine for the past 17 years and is just an amazing human being, through sharing the experience that I had on March 22nd, there was so much fear that had surfaced and wasn't really sure what it was rooted in? Was it fear of just being in a hospital because I have chronic illness and I've not had the best experience with Western medicine and hospital settings in general? Was it due to the heightened eeriness of the hospital from the pandemic? Was it due to being a new mom and just all of the uncertainty and maybe some fear that I have about giving birth that I hadn't faced yet? Or what it ended up being was that having my cervix checked really stirred up a lot of stored trauma regarding my sexual assault. And in turn, that scared me and made me fearful for my actual birth and delivery because it's always been so important to me that my child is born in just calming, relaxed energy I never wanted him or her to be born into this bright light, scary, sterile, cold hospital room setting. I wanted a water birth. I wanted um, not a hospital. I wanted a birthing center. Those plans all changed um, 
leading up to the pandemic, actually, where the birthing center that I was planning on giving birth at just up and closed, didn't tell me. Um, And I only found out standing in their parking lot one morning when I was supposed to have an office visit. Um, So my birth really didn't look anything like I had planned when I discovered I was pregnant. Um, But that is not to say it wasn't beautiful because it was, and it was exactly as it was meant to be. But anyway, back to March 23rd, the day after we left the hospital um, with the false alarm labor feeling, um, I really, that really next week or two had to work through and around a lot of um, PTSD type symptoms from my sexual assault and do, do a lot of journaling and energy clearing and just energy work in general, um, reclaiming my power. I decided to tell my midwife my history. She hadn't known up until this point that sexual assault is a part of my history. And that really shifted what my prenatal and postpartum and labor and delivery care all looked like. It became very trauma-informed, which is super important. So if you are someone with sexual assault history or anything like that, chronic illness with the fear of Western medicine, any form of trauma that may either subconsciously affect your labor and delivery or very consciously affect it physically, energetically, any of that, don't be afraid to share that. Um, It's really important and it, if anything, strengthened the relationship that I had with my midwife. So when I told her in tears at my next visit, um, she was so sweet. She came to my side and reassured me and said, you know, from, from this point forward, we will agree to only check your cervix when it's medically necessary and I will be the only one to do it. Uh, because part of what was really triggering for me was it was an individual, yes, female, but someone that I had no relationship with, had never met prior to this. She was masked, so I could only see her eyes. I had never had my cervix checked to begin with. She didn't really verbally explain what was going to happen and when it was all taking place. So it was just all very um, tense and scary for me. Um, So we agreed to not check my cervix unless it was medically necessary going forward. And, um, from that moment on, she, she just knew what would be potentially, uh, triggering for me. So I continued for the next couple of weeks, having those Braxton Hicks contractions. I went in for just a regular 40 week appointment. Um, and on April 1st, um, went in and, she hooked me up to the contraction machine because I had shared that I just was having a really hard time understanding when I was supposed to go to the hospital, when I was supposed to make that call because I did it on March 22nd and it was too soon. So because of chronic illness, I have quite a high pain tolerance. I'm also extremely intuitive and empathic and very in tune with my body what that means is I feel every little thing on a very um, magnified level. So for me, um, you know, I'm feeling all of these contractions, but because of the chronic illness pain tolerance, I'm like, I don't know if it's a really big contraction to someone else and this is when I should call or if I truly wait until I cannot speak I have to hold on to something, which is usually what they tell you to look for and when to call. So we hooked 
hooked, she hooked me up to this machine and I just watched the machine and was able to look and see, oh, I'm having a contraction and then tap into the feeling and say, okay, this is what it feels like. That was a pretty small one. And now this is what a stronger one feels like. And I spent probably an hour and a half with her just doing that. I'm a new mom. I've never experienced this before. And having someone be so patient and understanding and caring with me um, was super, super important to me. So I left that day feeling confident that A, I was having contractions. They were regular. It was not in my mind. They were getting stronger, but they still had a ways to go before it was quote unquote time. So I uh, went about my day, went to sleep, woke up, uh, logged on to my laptop for work around 6.30 in the morning on April 2nd, and noticed that I was still having very, very regular contractions, and they were getting stronger. Not strong enough to the point where I couldn't speak, but they were definitely gaining momentum. And I just had this feeling that April 2nd, like today's going to be the day. I just had this feeling. Um, Mike woke up and I was walking into the kitchen to make myself coffee and make us breakfast. And upon doing that, grabbed onto the counter because I had a strong contraction. He looked over at me and we said so much with no words, just eye contact. And about 30 to 40 seconds later, once the contraction ended, I just said, I don't think you should go to work today. He works about 30 minutes away. So leading up to this point, it was, you know, call me if, if you feel anything and he would leave and we were just okay with that. And on this particular day, I was like, I don't want you to leave. Cause I felt like as soon as he left, it was going to, it was going to be time and I would be home alone and I just needed him here. And as soon as I said that out loud, I was immediately flashing back to March 22nd thinking, wow, what if it's still too early? What if he wastes a day where he could have been at work? Um, just so many questions, right? Um, so he stayed home and we ate breakfast. I continued working and then they just kept getting stronger. And I said, I think I have to call the midwife and just be seen again, even though I was just there yesterday. So because of the coronavirus pandemic, the latter half of my pregnancy, Mike was not allowed to come to any appointments with me. Um, so I drove myself to my midwife and I was seen. We decided, yes, let's check the cervix since the um, contractions are feeling stronger today. And it was with my trusted midwife. So she checked it. It was still extremely painful and traumatizing for me energetically. Um, and she felt, she actually felt that I was two centimeters dilated, but as soon as she checked, she felt my body really tense up and we had a difficult conversation af right after that, where she said, um, are you planning on having an epidural? And I very quickly said, no, and that is not to judge anyone who gets an epidural. That was just, I, in my mind, part of the pregnancy that I dreamt of was it being just completely natural and detached from Western medicine entirely. And as I said, due to the pandemic, due to the birthing center closing, due to all of these factors, my birth already looked nothing like I had wanted. And 
that was one thing that was still within my control that I was very, I don't want an epidural. And so she asked me why, why I was so quick to say no to that. And I shared that with her and she very calmly just stood next to me and she put her hand on my knee and said, I'm not suggesting an epidural because I don't think you can handle the pain or the intensity of labor. I'm suggesting it because of your history with sexual assault. I'm suggesting it because there is such an energetic piece to labor and delivery. It's not just physically pushing your child out. There's so much energetically and spiritually that is happening simultaneously. And what I don't want to happen is your labor to be... um, stalled or shut down in any way because your body can't fully relax. You need to be as relaxed as possible. And, you know, giving birth to a child is rather invasive for the female. Um, There's cervix checking, there's potentially water breaking, there's constant rubbing, there's just everyone's, you know, there and very much in you. Um, So, She said to just, I didn't have to make a decision in that moment, but to just think about it. So she sent me home to think about that and suggested that I take a bath or a nap, you know, eat a big lunch, just prepare as if it may happen tonight, but it also may be a few days and to not be hard on myself and just really surrender to what was happening in my body in that moment. So I drove home. And I did as she recommended. I I shared what the visit resulted in with Mike and he drew me a bath and I got into a hot tub with Epsom salt and Clary Sage and played my mantra music and just really tried to soak into the contractions I was feeling and soak into the possibility that I would get to meet my little girl. Um, So I I took probably about an hour long bath and then got really, really sleepy and wanted to climb into bed to take a nap. So I did. And probably 10 or 15 minutes into my nap, I started getting the most intense cramping sensations I have ever had. I've always had really painful, long, heavy menstruation. And um, this was like no menstrual cramp I had ever experienced. It was so intense. Um, so intense that Mike was just on the other side of the wall in the living room and I couldn't say his name. I ended up grabbing my phone and texting him saying, can you bring me some water? So he came in with a glass of water and um, leading up until this point, anytime I talked with my mom or my sister, I would you know, be asking pregnancy-related questions, be like, I think this is a contraction, but maybe I'm just dehydrated or gassy, or maybe she's just moving. There's just so much that I was unsure of and so quick to just explain away for various reasons. Like, I'm nauseous because I have Lyme. No, it's because you're pregnant. I'm tired because I have Lyme. No, it's because you're pregnant. And this was no different. He came in and said, you know, what's going on? Because he could sense that I was in pain And I said, I don't know, I think I'm just dehydrated from taking an Epsom salt bath and I haven't had a lot of water today. So he gave me water and left so that I could fall back asleep. And I never fell back asleep because that cramping sensation continued. It was as soon as it ended, I would take a deep breath and it would start again. And I kept 
feeling my subconscious or spirit or whatever saying it's time, it's time, it's time. And I'm such a stubborn person that I was like, no, until I'm extremely sure I'm not telling Mike, I'm not calling the midwife. I'm just going to ride this out. Maybe it'll end. Maybe I just have to go to the bathroom. Just, you know, maybe fill in the blank. I probably said it or thought it. Then it got to a point where I was texting with my friend Jenna, asking what her experience with contractions was and what I was sharing. She was like, Ariel, I'm pretty sure you're in labor. And then all of a sudden, such an intense one came that I rolled out of bed, got down on all fours and was crawling on my bedroom floor over to the door to get Mike and just could not take a deep breath. I was just on all fours, so uncomfortable. I came out into the living room. Once I was able to stand, I grabbed onto the dresser to stand up straight, walked out and said, I have to call the midwife again. I think it's time this time. Um, So he quickly went into new dad mode, got all of the hospital bags that we had already packed um, together, grabbed a couple of granola bars, not knowing how long we would be there. And, um, out the door we went. Now we live in an apartment building and it's a very long walk from my apartment door to where the car is parked. And also due to the pandemic, I was masked and I kept walking. I would take a couple of steps, a contraction would come and I would just go stop walking and go to hold onto the wall or lean onto the wall. And I, all I remember is Mike just saying, stop touching the wall, stop touching things, just hold on to me. Uh, keep keep walking, keep walking, because I just kept stopping, and it was taking that much longer to get to the car. But it was so difficult for me to just fathom getting to the car and walking there. So we finally made it. Um, he drove me to the outside of the building where my midwife was located because he still couldn't come in with me due to the pandemic. And I just remember looking at this Purell hand sanitizer stand all the way at the end of the hallway thinking, I just have to make it to that stand. And it took me so long to get there walking by myself. I kept grabbing onto the wall and then subconsciously hearing Mike saying not to touch anything. I remember walking past a couple of different people and I just remember thinking like, what do I look like to them? And some of them were masked, some of them weren't. And it was just the longest walk of my life. And I got to the Purell stand and I just held on to it. And I knew that I still had an elevator ride and another short hallway to walk down. So finally ended up in the midwife office and they quickly got me into a room and said, if you feel like you need to start pushing, please let us know. And I looked at them and said, how will I know if I have to start pushing? And they just kind of smiled and said, sweetie, you'll know. And then there was yet another thing that I was unsure of. Will I know? Will I miss the opportunity to start pushing? There was just so much uncertainty leading up to this point. So I'm waiting for my midwife to come in and instead the, um, nurse comes in and she said, I spoke with Diana and she thinks it's best if we have you head over to the hospital, get admitted, get an epidural if you're open to it, like we talked about, and then she'll meet you over there once you have the epidural. And I said, okay. 
knowing that I had the walk to the hospital to determine if I wanted the epidural or not. Mike was waiting in the parking lot in the car with our bags. I called him and filled him in and said, um, leave the bags in the car just in case it's a false alarm, even though all signs were pointing to baby time. Um, so he left the bags in the car. He met me in the hospital lobby where we had to go through a coronavirus um, scan to make sure that we were not someone that seemed to have the virus. And this entire time, I just remember waiting to get my temperature checked. I had to sanitize my hands in front of the security officer. We had to put a mask on. And I just remember thinking, I'm in so much pain. I'm having a baby. Why does no one understand that I'm having a baby? And it just felt yet again, like so second level importance to everyone else due to the fact that this pandemic was going on when I just wanted to scream, I'm in labor, hurry this process up. But I fully understand and respect the precaution that needed to be taken due to the pandemic. So finally, we cleared that station and walked our way to the maternity section of the hospital, which also felt like it took forever. Um, got admitted, signed papers, answered questions, no idea what I answered or signed. I just got to such a level of intensity and cramping and uncomfortability that I kind of blacked out, but was still functioning and, and conscious and all of that. Um, finally the epidural person came in to give me the epidural and, Probably about 15 or so minutes later, my midwife showed up. At this point, when once I got the epidural, I kept asking nurses um, if they check my cervix and I'm not dilated, will they send me home? And they just kept looking at me going, Ariel, you had an epidural. We're not sending you home. It's time. So Diana came in and let me know that she was going to check my cervix and my water had not broken up until this point. So she was also going to break my water. And then um, we would kind of reassess from there. So she anticipated that I would be around four or five centimeters. And it turns out I was a whopping 9.5 centimeters. When she told me that I was 9.5 centimeters dilated, I was shocked, as was she. There was nothing in the room prepared for the actual labor portion because I showed up two centimeters dilated several hours before, and everyone just figured I would be there for a while, as did Mike and I. Um, most birthing stories that I had heard from family and friends consisted of hours and hours and hours of waiting and pushing and waiting and pushing. And in the middle of the night, the baby arrives. This was like 6.50 PM. And what do you mean? I'm, I'm 9.5 centimeters dilated. I was shocked. Um, also having the epidural, I did not feel the cervix check or the water breaking. And that was a blessing for me in terms of the sexual assault triggering. I remained so relaxed, so calm, so open. I had mantra music playing and I just felt ready, which was really reassuring and comforting for me because I was so worried about how I would feel leading up until her actual arrival. So I find out I'm 9.5 centimeters dilated, which to those of you who don't know, once you're 10, you start pushing. So we were right around the corner from starting to push. And 
suddenly my midwife looks around and she goes, where's Mike? And I said, oh, I sent him to the car because uh, we didn't bring the bags in right away. And she asked, why not? And I said, well, I just didn't know if I was going to be sent home. And she kind of laughed and said, Ariel, you're in labor. Your baby's coming within a matter of hours. We're not sending you home. So he finally arrived with the bags. Um, Diana left to go get scrubbed up, met him in the hallway and, and said, you know, get your booty into the room. She's, she's ready to push. So Mike came in wide eyed and as surprised as we all were that it was time. Um, we got everything ready and off to the races. I started pushing just after 7 PM and, um, probably by 7:15 or so Diana had asked, um, if my mom was ever able to make it. Cause I had shared that my mom and sister planned on being here for Yara's birth. They both live in North Carolina and I teary eyed said she had to, um, rearrange her plans and her flights got canceled. My sister had to postpone her trip. My mom wasn't able to come. And she said, do you want to video chat her? And it was such a, a special and needed suggestion. So I immediately had Mike call my mom so that she could be there virtually, which is something that a lot of us are needing to do, whether it be for births, weddings, funerals, um, just day-to-day interactions. Everything is virtual right now because of the pandemic, right? So that was the next best thing to having her there was to have her there on video. So we propped her up in total. I had my mom there virtually. I had Mike, my midwife, and one of the nurses at the hospital. And our room just felt so solid. It felt so empowering and calm and um, supportive. And I just felt like I can do this. And leading up to that moment, really my entire pregnancy, I doubted whether I could do it. The birth part the mom part, any of it. Um, and that was especially heightened due to chronic illness. Can I physically do this? I, I didn't know it was all a mystery. Um, and here we were. So by 8 37 PM at that time, after about an hour and a half of pushing, uh, Yara Wren Kelly entered the world and, with that moment, with the birth of my daughter, seeing Mike's face, seeing my mom's face, feeling her on my chest, just all of the things that I thought were important in life suddenly weren't. All that mattered in that moment was my family. All that mattered was hearing her cry for the first time, feeling her search for my breast, feeling her hands on my chest, just that's all that mattered. Leading up to that moment, I was so bombarded with, with the global pandemic, with the stress and hormone imbalance and fear and emotion of being pregnant and not knowing what kind of world I was bringing her into. And in that moment, I realized Amidst a pandemic, 
that I was still bringing her into a safe place. I was bringing her into a loving family, a stable family, a growing family, a just the three of us is all that mattered to me in that moment. And it was as if everything else in the world just hit the pause button. Um, from there, let's see, the recovery unit of the hospital was locked down. They had a lot of sections of the hospital that were just not being used to try and isolate people as best as possible amidst the pandemic. So I didn't go over to the recovery unit like we had talked about during my maternity tour. I was just brought into another labor and delivery room where we stayed for the next two days. We had no visitors, you know, no visitors were allowed, which didn't totally impact us because all of our family lives outside of Colorado, mainly over on the East Coast, and no one was able to get to us because of the pandemic. So it was just the two of us and a lot of masked doctors and nurses that would pop in and out. Um, And we just could not wait to get home, to get out of the hospital and to just be where we felt safe and, and protected and just in our own space. So two days after being in the hospital, we were discharged and I, I just remember thinking, Oh my gosh, they're letting us leave with her. (laughs) It just still hadn't hit me that she is ours forever. And, um, so we, we journeyed home as brand new parents, not knowing what on earth we were doing really. Um, but knowing that we would figure it out together and we entered the postpartum season of this journey, just the three of us, which is also something that I really did not plan on. I had envisioned my mom being here, my sister being here. I envisioned, um, my sister's a photographer. I envisioned these beautiful photos of of the three of us coming home, and I envisioned my mom being here to help with laundry and cleaning and and meals and helping us with Yara when we were so sleep-deprived and exhausted. I envisioned her here helping me learn how to breastfeed, all of these things. It was suddenly just, I have to figure it out on my own, and thank God I have Mike here with me. So there was a lot of um, moments where I cried and he held me. There was a lot of moments where we just were so happy and would high-five thinking like, we're crushing this. Um, just such an emotional roller coaster entering postpartum. Um, another huge aspect of postpartum that was impacted just due to the state of the world is I envisioned, you know, going for long walks outside with with Yara and the stroller or meeting a friend for coffee or, you know, having the friends that I have here in Denver meeting my daughter in general, and all of that was out of the picture, unable to be done. Um, The only times we left our house for the first month and a half of her life was to take her to the pediatrician or for me to, actually not even for me to have my postpartum visit because that had to be virtual as well. Um, Just so much was not at all how I anticipated. And some days that was really hard to process and it felt so unfair and sad. And then there were other moments where 
it was really special because it gave the three of us uninterrupted time as a family to figure out our new dynamic, to figure out our new energy, to bond on, on so many different levels, to not care or worry about how clean the house was or getting myself put together or, you know, not being able to wear a bra due to discomfort. It was just a very, um, free time, but also at times a very challenging time. But we'll get into that more in another episode, just the pandemic in general and um, a lot more detail on postpartum and things that I have learned, things that I am angry about in terms of how this season is approached or actually ignored in our country, in our society, um, in terms of maternity leave, in terms of postpartum support and services, in terms of just so much there's so much that needs to change in our country in particular in the United States. And we will get to that in another episode. I can feel my blood boiling. But anyway, this episode was all about my birth story. And yes, it looked different than I anticipated. It was in a hospital. So many people that I wanted there weren't able to be there. Um, I had an epidural when I planned on having a natural birth. So many things were different. But one really important. And the only important thing is that I gave birth to such a healthy, beautiful little bundle of light who has just over the past eight weeks completely changed our world. She is just so incredible, so alert, so gentle and innocent. And I cannot wait to just show her the mountains and explore with her and see the world through her eyes, whatever that world may be as we enter the other side of this pandemic. So that is my birth story. It is imperfect. It is unplanned. It is unique. It is mine. It is a story that has such raw, vulnerable emotion woven throughout it. It is rooted in love. It was an opportunity for me really to test my level of health, to test my level of endurance, to test my level of just strength and force. And for the first time in my life, I look at myself as such a strong woman. I made her we made her. I birthed her. I'm caring for her. I'm doing this. Even with chronic Lyme disease, even with a global pandemic, even with questions about career and life and what happens next, I'm a new mom and I'm doing it. So if you're someone who's pregnant or just given birth for the first time, or you've been a mom for 30 plus years, Just know that that is such a badge of honor. Just know that I look at you with so much awe. I am inspired by your strength, whether you had a C-section, a vaginal birth, medicated, unmedicated, a free birth, whatever it looked like, adopted, you are a mom, and that is incredible. That is so incredible. And... I just have so much respect and admiration for you, and I hope that you too have a moment in your life 
where you can look in the mirror, look at your scars, look at your stretch marks, and just think, I'm amazing. My body's amazing. I did this. It's been incredible. It's been hard. It's so hard. Harder than I imagined, but so insanely rewarding and special and beautiful and truly a part of my journey I would not trade for the entire world. So I hear my little one stirring from a nap behind me. I'm going to hop off and put on my mama cap and just feed her and get all the snuggles in before my maternity leave ends and just know that I will be back soon. I have so much to share and and explore and discuss with all of you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this and know that I have been am and will be holding so much space for each of you during this time. I know how unsettling the world feels right now. I know it's scary. I know it's uncertain. And just know that I'm holding space, sending healing energy your way and trusting that on the other side, there will be something beautiful because I have my life to point to and every trauma, every hardship, every struggle, something beautiful has come from it. And I know it's hard to see what that may be right now in terms of the pandemic, but together we'll figure it out. Together we'll create that moment. Together we will emerge somehow better than we started. So with that, thank you for listening. I will talk to you guys soon and sending you my love.